read a few verses this morning. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And a few chapters over in the book of Matthew as well. And again, I say to you, Jesus speaking, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, ask and it will be done to them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Then a couple chapters over again. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. I want you to hear those things and ponder those things. And I want to tell a few stories about my life. I first came to Grace back in 1994, and not long after I came, there was a family with a little boy. His name was Noah. And uh, in a birthday party for several other of the kids of their family, he had done something he'd never done before. He crawled out by the pool, and he was in the pool. And uh, after a while, someone saw him in there, grabbed him out of the pool, rushed him to the emergency room, where his father, an emergency room physician, was working. And they worked valiantly to save Noah. They put him on machines, and they kept him alive for a month. And if you knew their family, the dad was an evangelist that spoke all over the country. And so there were people praying for baby Noah all over this country of every Christian persuasion. You have Catholics, you have Charismatics, you have Pentecostals, you have Anglicans, you have all sorts of people around the world praying for Noah to be healed. And about a month after they put Noah on those machines, they took him off the machines and he died. Back in 2005, I got a call on Saturday that my brother, who was putting away skis, he lived in Boise, putting away skis in his attic over the garage, had fallen somehow, struck his head on the concrete. His son had found him. He was 48 at the time. Um, and he, too, was in a coma in the hospital. And so I was on a plane on Sunday morning, flew out to Boise, got there at about 7 in the evening, went to the hospital. Uh, he was not responsive at all. And about 2 in the morning on Monday, my brother passed away. And I know others of you have stories like that, where we pray for something and... We just know that this has got to be God's will. This has got to be something that's a really good thing that God wants, and, and it doesn't happen. And, and we look at verses like this, and we're wondering, what in the world is going on here? 
And because of that, there's kind of two responses, probably more that people have. One is kind of this, this response of denial that maybe there was just something wrong with me. I didn't have enough faith, and so if I would pray in the exact right way, then, then these things would come true. And we can think that personally, but then I think of cases like Noah where people of every spectrum are praying for this child and still it doesn't turn out the way that so many people had prayed and we wonder what to do with verses like that. And then I've met people that just say, okay, we've just got to claim these promises regardless of what reality is in life. And I've talked to people who are sick as dogs and coughing and have fevers and say, man, you're really sick. And you say, no, 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 I'm not sick. I'm healthy. I'm claiming health right now. I'm speaking health into my life. And you're like, dude, you're just deceiving. You are sick. Go home, get out of the public sphere and don't infect anybody else. You are really sick. Don't say that you're not. And on a more serious note, I think if people come to Christ and they are given this kind of blank check theology, you just ask and God's going to come through, then they ask and it can be really devastating for them because they just think, well, you know, maybe this whole thing is just a farce. It says this here, but it's just not a reality in my life. And I don't know what was going through your head as I read those verses, but if you're like me, there's a whole lot of but, and there's all these, how do we put those things together? And I think this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, is going to be helpful, even though it starts out with what we hear initially as kind of this blank check promise or unlimited debit card, just I ask God for whatever I want, and he's going to give it to me, right? And we're in the part of the Sermon on the Mount where we're closing things up. And we've been going through this sermon, and we've been talking about the reality that, that the kingdom of heaven is open to all people, Right? especially those who are poor in spirit, that that they're humble, they recognize, I don't have what it takes to be one of God's favorites. I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not a religious leader. I don't have the pedigree that makes me acceptable to God. And Jesus has said, no, that's not who the kingdom is for. It's for people who are poor in spirit, who are people who are mourning over their sins, people who don't have righteousness but are hungry for that. They want that to be part of their life. and, And you are blessed And so that entrance into the kingdom comes when we trust Christ, but then recognizing as we go through the sermon that God is calling us as his people to live as citizens of that kingdom. And in the sermon, he's given kind of the the manifesto of what it means to walk as a citizen of that kingdom. And we get into that and we realize, wow, this is pretty darn demanding, right? It means that I've, I've got my anger under control. It means I've got my sexual desire under control. It means I'm a person of complete honesty. It means that I have love even for my enemies. It means that when I participate in religious activities, I'm doing them not to impress other people, but solely to impress and to connect with God. It means that I'm a person that has freedom from greed, but also I'm a person that's free from anxiety It means that I have a non-judgmental, merciful attitude towards those that aren't yet perfect as well, but it also means that I'm discerning as I walk through life and evaluate others. 
It means that my focus is first and foremost on seeking the kingdom of God and not my own personal kingdom. And we read through that, and it seems almost a little bit like bait and switch. It's like, okay, this is available to everybody that's poor in spirit, and then we get into it, and it's like, oh, you know, by the way, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we're like, oh, what? And that's where I think we come to this little section here. Why does Jesus, again, speak about prayer? Someone has said the Christian life is really hard, and you, you look at the standards that God has set in this sermon, you're like, yeah, I agree. And I'll tell you this morning, the Christian life isn't hard. The Christian life is impossible. It's impossible. If you read this and you take this seriously and you don't kind of fudge and just all those kind of things, you realize this is not true of me. All right, I can get the poor in spirit part. I can get the hunger and thirst for righteousness, but actually living these things out daily, that's, that's a different story. And that's why I think Jesus comes to the end with prayer again, recognizing that, you know what, even as God's children, even as citizens of his kingdom, we can't do this on our own. We have to ask. We have to seek. We have to knock. We have to be pressing into God to experience that kingdom life because we can't do it on our own. Some have looked at this sermon and said, you know, this, this is so high, it's not even for us, right? It's for a later time so we can just dismiss all this because, frankly, it's just too darn hard, right? But Jesus doesn't seem to be saying that. He seems to have this expectation as this is the kind of people that, that I want you to be. But then the reality is we can't be that. But then he says, you know what, you can be that but not alone. You can be that with the help of God as you live dependently every day depending on God, asking him to be a person that manifests these kind of qualities, seeking him, pushing into him, knocking on that door saying, yeah, I just, I want this. And you see kind of an increasing intensity in this asking and seeking and knocking. It's like, yes, I, this is something that I really want, but it's not really there. And so I want to look at this whole issue of prayer. Because when we hear those statements from Jesus, they just sound super optimistic, right? Whatever, just ask and you'll, you'll receive. So how do we keep on praying? How do we keep on pushing into God in the midst of the reality of situations like Noah and probably situations that have popped up in your own heads about what is going on when we pray? So I want to read this passage and then we'll talk a little bit about it. Starting in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him. This is a reading of God's word. So to me, Jesus helps us here deal with the reality of life as we approach God with our requests. And he gives this super optimistic, come to him, ask him anything. But I think if we're going to understand it and actually continue to pray, this has to be framed in the context of a parent-child relationship. Because that's the illustration that Jesus 
immediately gives, right? He says, ask, seek, knock, everybody who asks. He doesn't say, okay, just the super spiritual among you that have fasted for 12 weeks, you are going to get what? No, he says, everyone. So this doesn't seem to be limited to just the super spiritual, but it's, it's all. And then he asks these rhetorical questions that obviously to the people he's talking to, they're going to be very familiar with this, right? Bread and fish were the staples of that area, right? And so she's saying, okay, every, you who are parents out there, you know this, your kid comes to you asking for some bread and fish, just basic staples of life. Any parent, even though he says you're evil or you're bad, recognizing that all of us are sinful and broken, but that doesn't mean that in all of our behavior we are as broken, as sinful as we could be. So he said, even you as natural parents, when your kid comes to you, who of you is going to, that's not really sadistic and crazy, is going to give your kid a stone when they ask for bread? I was like, nobody. Is going to give them even something dangerous when they ask for fish? A lot of the fishes there were kind of eel-like looking, and it's like, oh, I'm going to be deceptive. I'm going to give my child a snake when they're expecting a fish, and bam! No, it's like, Jesus is like, that, that's ridiculous. And he says, and again, this is an argument from the lesser to the greater. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those that ask them? To me, this is foundational when I go to God in prayer. It's an understanding of God as a father that's a good, good father. If I don't have that in my head as I go to God, then I'm going to really struggle to pray. And I know people have all sorts of different experiences with human fathers. Jesus acknowledges that even here. Okay, no parent is perfect. We're all broken. We're all messed up, mixed up in how we parent our kids. That's just the reality. You can talk to my kids. They, they, they can take you into therapy and, and tell you what's messed up in me. But the reality is none of us are perfect, but we try to do our best. And Jesus is saying, how much more the Heavenly Father is going to delight in bringing what's good into your life. And if you struggle with the image of father in Isaiah 49, 13, it talks about God as a mother, a nursing mother that cares for her child. So both those images, this is the God that we come to, caring and concerned and loving. In the book of Hebrews, it says that when we come to God, we need to believe that he exists and that what? He is the rewarder of those that earnestly seek him. So Jesus, in looking at this prayer, he says, you need to recognize the heart of God as you go to pray. That he's not some distant, reluctant stranger that needs to be bribed or somehow coerced into wanting to give a good thing to his child. It's like, you're human. Parents, if your kids come to you, you're not going to trick them. You're not going to withhold from them things that they need. And God's not some sadistic tyrant that takes vicious glee in bringing some harm into their child's life just for the sake of watching them suffer. He's a father that's much more interested in our benefit than any human parent that we've ever known. So that then pushes us into, well, how do we deal with those times when we seem to be asking for those things that our Father does not 
provide. Let me ask you a question. Does a good father, a wise parent, always say yes to their children's requests? Obviously not, right? Heck no. Those of you who have raised kids, you realize, right? If my kids went away, it's like every you know, morning, noon, and night, it's birthday cake and ice cream. That's, I want to live on that, right? That's what tastes best. That's what makes me feel good. I get that sugar high. I buzz around. That's awesome. So on your birthday, it's like, okay, wonderful. Dig into that cake. Here's a second helping. It's your birthday. But next night, you know, when it comes to the dinner table, it's like, Dad, I don't want to eat chicken and green beans. I want birthday cake, and I want ice cream. What does a good parent do? Say, no. And when that parent says no, are they being good or bad? From the child's perspective, is their parent being nice or evil? <laughs> evil, right? And, and we've all been there. It's like, I can't believe, you know, it's like, my parent is the worst parent in the world. He wouldn't give me this. And the, I just wonder how much of my problems with God come from just kind of that childlike tantrum. And I think the difference between a parent and a toddler is so much less than the distance between me and God in terms of knowledge, okay? I hopefully, in my limited way, know what is most beneficial for my kids. It's not universal. I don't have universal knowledge. I don't know everything that's coming down the road. But the difference between me and God is much, much greater than the difference between a parent and even the youngest child. So first we need to recognize that this prayer needs to be couched in this relationship of parent and child. And sometimes a father or a mother will say no, not because they're being mean or not because they're trying to deprive their child, but they're trying to benefit their child. Let me ask you a second question. Does a child always know what's best for them? Obviously not, right? I want to play with the buttons on the stove. I want to go run out in the street, right? Can I drive the lawnmower? Probably not, if you want to keep your limbs, right? And when I go to the Lord, I'm going to ask for what is good, right? But my definition of good may be a little bit flawed. Because my definition of good is those things that make my life more comfortable, easier, and more hassle-free. That's what good is in my definition. But I don't think God's definition of good for me is that. In Romans 8.29... The good that God can bring out of even evil in this world is our being conformed to the image of Christ. So that is God's goal for me. Paul says, I I labor and strive to present everybody mature in Christ. That seemed to be his goal as well. So our becoming more like Jesus as we walk through this world is the good thing that God wants to produce in our lives. And as we look at our lives, sometimes we have difficulties seeing what God's doing as in any way beneficial for us. That I look at life and trouble comes knocking sometimes, right? It may be a job loss, a health crisis, a relationship stress, a difficult 
boss that you have to deal with, whatever that may be, my prayer is, God, take this away. It's a stress that I don't want in my life. It's not a good thing, right? Take it away and take it away now, preferably, right? Heal me and heal me now. Change this obnoxious person in my life and change them now. And we pray and maybe nothing happens. Our prayers seem to be bouncing off the ceiling. In Psalm 119, a whole psalm about the importance of the word of God and the psalmist there, two verses in that psalm in the same section, it says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And then in verse 71 of Psalm 119, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. It was good for me that I might be afflicted. That would never be a word that would come out of my my mouth. It was painful for me when I was afflicted. I hated it when I was afflicted. This was super stressful when I was afflicted. I couldn't wait to get out of this situation when I'm afflicted. And the psalmist says, it was good for me when I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes, that I may learn the mind of God in the midst of this circumstance. Sometimes it takes difficulty to change us and to shape us and to mold us in a positive direction. And we look at life, and as we look at life, we think, okay, God, I'm asking you for this, and this is, I think, a good thing in my life. It's a stressful thing that I want to get rid of, and, and you don't come through and God says, okay, this is maybe an area where I'm calling you to grow in patience and endurance. Remember the prayer in Colossians 1, being strengthened with all his might and power so that you may have great endurance and patience, right? I hate that verse in one sense. I want to be strengthened with all his might and power so that I'm immediately healed, the situation is remedied, my obnoxious boss suddenly becomes nice and says, oh, why don't you take next week off full pay and we'll give you a bonus. That's great. That's That's good for me. But not that I learned to even love my enemies in the midst of this very broken world. That, I I don't want enemies. I don't want people that hassle me. And God says, well, let's look on this part of your character right now. And again, that's not the only way that God brings goodness into our lives. Romans 2 says it's his kindness that will lead us to repentance as well. So this is a big orbed view of God. It's not just like, okay, it's time to go out and experience some difficulty, but we recognize that in our lives, right? How many of you exercise regularly? I won't ask for a show. Why do you do that? Because it just feels wonderful and you just can't wait to go out for a run when it's 95 degrees and after about 32 seconds, your whole body is full of sweat. No. Right? You do that, why? Because there's an ultimate benefit there. That it will produce health in your life that will hopefully last. So, do we recognize that God understands that as well about us? That there's some goal that he wants for us, and that's conformity to Christ, that sometimes we have to go through some things that aren't comfortable to get there. So as we pray, we need to recognize and take a step back and say, okay, what's God's good purpose in this? It's not necessarily my comfort, though I wish it were. That's coming later on (laughs) in his presence, fullness of joy, at his right hand, pleasure forevermore. That is coming, but that's not here yet. 
And also, the timing of things sometimes are off in our thinking. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. The, those verbs there are, indicate a continual, ongoing action. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. It's not like, okay, I'm done. It's not here. It's, I'm going back and back and back. And Jesus has a couple parables about the importance of kind of persistence in prayer. And I wonder why he wants that. And I think it's, it's like everything. It's about that relationship and, and our understanding this is something really important. If my kid comes to me and says, ask one time, oh, I want this. And then the next week they forgot about it. You know, it was maybe something they saw on, you know, YouTube or something for a second. And then they're, they're dead. It's like, but if it's a consistent, ongoing, this is, this is something they, they, they really want. But it also binds us in relationship with the Father. We talked about this as we looked at the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, you know, all right, don't be like the pagans who go on and on and on. Their prayers go on forever, right? Your Father knows what you need before you even pray. So the obvious question for many people is then, why pray at all, right? What's the point of this exercise? The point is not I'm instructing God in what he needs to know about my situation. The point is my connecting with the God of the universe and spending time in relational connection with him. And as we walk through life, sometimes God doesn't immediately provide what we need. There are sometimes when our kids come to us and we recognize, okay, there's a time when that request I will answer, but it's not quite yet. There's still some maturing, there's still some things that need to happen in their life before they're ready to handle this blessing or responsibility. Proverbs 20, 21 says this, an inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. And we've all heard the stories about lottery winners, right? Oh, and we think, oh man, if I only won the lottery, my life would be perfect. Well, look at some of the lottery winners and you realize, man, like three years down the road, they're all bankrupt and a lot of them's lives are miserable and they don't like their situation post-lottery any more than they like their situation pre-lottery. In fact, some find it more difficult. It's interesting that if you read this same section in the Gospel of Luke, it says... Your Father who is in heaven will give good things to those who ask him. Luke says, your Father in heaven will give you the Holy Spirit. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit. And I really like that because what's the best thing that God can give me? It's himself, right? Through the Spirit of Christ coming up and taking up residence in me. And that's what's going to conform me to the image of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit. So one of my regular prayers is, God, come fill me with your Holy Spirit because I do not have the ability on my own to live this kind of life that you're calling me to live. And I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking, and I do that regularly and consistently because I need it so desperately. You look at these prayers, you look at the Lord's Prayer, it's all about asking, right? <laughs> We're in a position of basically beggars before God, right? We don't have anything, we just come, okay, you know, like a little kid, what are they bringing to the parent that the parent needs? Absolutely nothing, right? <laughs> Why does the parent do what they do? Because they love the child, and it's the same with our Heavenly Father. And as I look back at my life, I am so thankful that at certain times God did not say yes to a prayer request that I just thought this has got to be the way and the will of God. 
And I look back and say, you know what, that probably would have been pretty disastrous for me. And God knows the beginning from the end. And so we look at things, and God's clearly not going to say yes to things that are wrong that we're asking for, but also sometimes right things may be right for one person but wrong for another person, or they may be right for a season of life but wrong at a particular time. And as we look at this, I think it's like, okay, I've got to take a step back when I give these prayer requests to God and let God be the kind of parent that I say I believe he is. And to give him authority to say yes and to say no and to say wait and to hold off on certain things. But what about those times when you're praying, it seems to be so in line with God's will and you're just, why in the world is he not answering? And I don't have easy answers for those times. But where I go is to Gethsemane, to my Savior who asked for something of the Father that he did not get answered. He says, God, if there's any way, take this cup away from me. I do not want to go through this, right? This is what the Son, the ultimate Son, the perfect Son is requesting of his Father And his father denies him that request, and he says, this is the path that you need to go through that ultimately will lead to blessing for so many. And Jesus, I think, had an understanding for the joy set before him, he endured the cross that I don't always have when I go through the circumstances of life. But the same father is interacting with me in my life as well. And sometimes I think we get answers for why we go through some difficult troubles or why things don't work out, and sometimes I have no idea. Sometimes I think it's for my benefit and growth. Sometimes I think it's for the people around me. That's the 2 Corinthians 1. The comfort that you received in the midst of trouble, then you're able to extend that comfort to other people. And I always say, I'd rather be less comforting to other people and more comfortable myself, Jesus. Can can we take that route? And he says, no, no. When you go through a difficulty, a parent that loses a child, you have an ability to comfort others in the midst of this broken world in a way that someone who hasn't experienced that at all has no way of doing. And we would not choose that, but God is the one that is allowing these circumstances in our lives And he can turn even what's evil. And I'm not going to say there's not evil in the world. There is evil in the world. But what we learn from Joseph, that God can take what was evil and he can use it and shape us and mold us into the image of Christ if we allow him to do that. And in the midst of those times, to me, the Psalms are full of honesty before God. God, Where are you? How long is this going to go on? So if you're in the midst of those seasons, it is totally appropriate to be honest with God. He knows what you're thinking anyhow. But then ultimately to get to that place of Psalm 131, like a weaned child in his mother's arms, you're not constant. God, I got to have this from you. But God, I just, as we say, I just want to rest in you, Jesus. I'm satisfied in what you have. And I know this world is really messed up. And I know that you said even in this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome it. So in the time we're in right now, we walk with God and we present our request to God. And having given all these caveats about asking, I don't want to give the impression that we shouldn't ask. You know, you can be looking at so many of the exceptions and Jesus doesn't seem to be focusing on the exceptions. He's saying, ask, seek, knock, push into God. 
As a good parent, are you ticked off if your child asks you for something, even if it's something unreasonable? No, you're like, okay, come on, get a clue. I'm not going to give you that right now, right? If they come back 12 times when you've already said no, that's when you get a little irritated. But the reality is, I think Jesus is saying, push into God. What does James say? You don't have, why? Because you don't ask. We can get so cynical, we can try to analyze all this kind of stuff, and it's like, what are my motives? You know, and I think, okay, God just says, just ask. Yeah, spend some time looking at your motives. If you're just asking for the new Lamborghini, probably not a prayer request that God's going to say, I'm all about that, Brett. No. But if they're good things, and you're bringing them to God, keep asking, keep persisting, until God says, stop asking about that. We've got an example in Scripture with Paul, right? He was given some incredible revelations. And then he was also given a thorn in the flesh. And we're not told what that thorn is, a messenger of Satan. And I think we're not told because the Lord wants us to be able to apply this to our lives. And if it was, oh, Paul had, you know, bursitis, or Paul had a bad knee, or bad eyesight, or whatever it is, like, I don't know, but, but okay, there is something in his life that he pushes in. He pleads with God. It's a really strong word. It's not like, yeah, God, if you take this away, it's like, God, please take this away. And three times he goes. And then at the end, God says, okay, Paul, I'm not going to take that away. And I don't like to hear that, especially when it's something that is causing pain in my life, emotional pain, stress, physical pain, because I want God to take that away. And what does the Lord say to Paul? My grace is sufficient for you, right? Because as you walk now with whatever limitation you have, that's an opportunity in that weakness for my power to be shown. And it's going to keep you humble. It's like, oh, no, don't, not into being humble. I'd rather be a little. But that was God's response to Paul. Okay, you've pressed in, you've sought but this is not something that I'm going to take away. But if God has not told you that, then I think, okay, we keep persisting, we keep asking, we keep seeking. And I don't think the Father is put off by that. So I don't know where you are with prayer this morning. If you've pushed in at times and then it hasn't happened and so you've just kind of grown cynical about the whole process. To you, I want to say keep pushing in. And remember who you're praying to. These verses aren't just a blank check. It's not, God, I want whatever I want, and you've promised you got to give it to me, so give it to me. But Father, I'm coming to you as a good father, and I realize that I don't even know what's best in my life. And I realize that my push is for comfort and ease and life being smooth without hassles, and your main goal for me is to become more like Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help me to see those things that you bring into my life, like James says, to see them, those troubles, those tribulations, not as an indication of your displeasure, but as something you're bringing into my life to grow me and to change me and to maybe rub off those rough edges that keep me from acting more like Jesus in this world. But, Lord, thank you for so many times when I have brought stuff to you and you have responded. And you have answered prayer. Those are encouragements as well. And I've told the story about my dad sent home at 34 with malignant stage 4 metastatic melanoma told he was going to die. And the Lord healed him. 
right? And there have been people that we prayed for in the church that have a spot on their brain that showed up on an MRI in one place, and then we pray, and it's not there anymore. So God does answer prayer, but it's God that answers the prayer. And we can't cajole him. We can bring our requests to a good father and say, Father, this is what I'd love more than anything else, and I'm going to keep coming. One of my passions is that we be a church that is out there sharing the love of Christ with other people and they're coming to embrace that. And I heard a story this week of someone in the church that shared their faith with someone and that person embraced Christ. I'm like, yes, God, bring more of that. But it doesn't always happen, right? And God, as a good parent, sovereign over that whole situation. But to keep pressing in, to keep asking, to keep knocking, because we've got a good father. Who of you? Whose son or daughter asks for bread are going to give him a stone. Who asks for fish are going to give him a snake. No one. How much more will the Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? Let's pray. Father, we come. And so often our view of you is messed up. We make you into just a giant human father with whatever failings and faults that we are aware of in our human fathers. But that's not who you are. You are loving and perfect and omniscient and know what is best for us in every aspect of our lives. And Lord, you said sometimes that there's going to be trouble that comes into our lives in this world. But thank you, Lord, that you overcome that trouble and you make us more like Jesus Christ even in the midst of it that you're not distant, that you want us to be connected with you as we push into you in prayer, seeking your kingdom, seeking to be changed, to live out these values that you've been teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. So Lord, help us, we pray. We are completely and totally dependent on you. If we think we stand, if we think we have the ability to do this stuff on our own, Lord, May we take heed lest we fall. But before we fall, Lord, may we fall to our knees first in prayer before you and ask you to make us the kind of people that you want us to be. Lord, help us not to be cynical in prayer, but to keep pressing in. Help us to recognize those times when you say no. It's not that you are sadistic or mean or just want our lives to be miserable, but Lord, you're trying to do something in us. So, Lord, help us. We thank you for your tremendous patience with us. How we struggle with prayer, Lord, it's just the reality. But we want to be those that are more enthusiastic about pushing into our relationship with you through prayer. And where that's not there, Lord, correct us, grow us, Change us. Lord, we want to be yours. Help us to do that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.